I have a new a new member in my marital bed. Uh, my wife, <laughs> my wife is working outside of Los Angeles for the next ten to twelve weeks because she's filming her show, yeah. and uh, so she's she's uh, spending the time in our a friend's house who is also filming somewhere else in America. So my wife is staying oh, at her house. And uh, anyway, long story short, I'm I'm single dadding it. I'm home alone, uh-huh. and I don't know if I've told you this, Brad. I cannot fall asleep without my wife in the house. Oh. Like if I'm at a hotel for whatever yeah. reason. I fall asleep no problem. Like if I'm at a right. convention or something. But if I'm in my own bed and my wife is not there, I cannot fall asleep. It's like 3 a.m. So yeah. Brad, I've invited my 15-pound dachshund into the bed with me, and <laughs> I I gotta tell you, I I woke up around 3 a.m. just feeling heat, just yeah. heat, Brad. And he was just lying on my stomach. So oh not only could I like, I just felt weight on my chest, and then also yeah. just heat. He was a thousand <laughs> degrees. So I do not recommend. Been bringing a dachshund into the bed with you. It does oh. not work. I do now, not recommend it. Is he the big spoon or the little spoon? He is. <laughs> <laughs> he is, I, I would imagine he's little spoon. Yes, he is little, little spoon. spoon. Yeah, that's, that's probably for the best. <laughs> <laughs> and on that note, I'm going to say hello, everybody, and welcome to Comic Lab, the show about making comics. And making a living from comics, I'm Brad Geiger, the author of the Web Comics Handbook and the creator of Evil Inc. And I'm his pal Dave Kellett, cartoonist of Drive and Sheldon and co-director of the comics documentary Stripped. And this week's Hour of Comics Advice is made possible by your support at patreon.com slash comic lab. So Dave, Dave! Let's talk comics. Let's talk comics, my friend. We've got a barn burner of a show today because yes. we've got a couple of big topics to talk about. Um, the main one being webtoons and also uh, the sort of uh, changing and lingering advice of uh, elder statesman yeah. cartoonists in, in web comics. Uh, but I want to remind everybody that this show is going out live right now to our live gab friends over at patreon.com slash comic lab. And uh, you can join at the live gab group and watch the show live streaming every week. I'm waving to the gang right now. Uh, there is an active and lively chat going on in real time. And also the shows are archived in case you are uh, stuck in life or learning or living uh, and need to watch the archive show. And that is available to you as well. But Brad, jump us right straight into the topic oh. this week because, oh, Nelly, we got a lot to talk about. Well, we are we're recording this show in late June, and uh, what happened? We had a big week last week in web comics uh, that was kicked off when uh, Kennedy Holman uh, on her uh, Twitter account uh, showed a photo of a what was a New York uh, sign, I think, in a subway uh, for webtoons that said, "Comics are literature's fun side hustle." And it had art from Rachel Smythe's uh, Lore Olympus. And of course, the idea of comics being literature's fun side hustle uh, was 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 very much found to be insulting, uh, disparaging, frustrating uh, and just plain old dumb by people in the comics community, especially people who were using Webtoons as a uh, as a platform trying to get traction there. Uh, They found that to be very insulting. (laughs) Okay. And that brought up a lot of uh, people that, uh, especially from like the first generation of web comics, uh, we'll call them the web comics old guard who were saying, Hey, why are you guys there in the first place? Right. And, and that got a little bit of pushback, a little bit of a okay boomer mentality. Right. So we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about that because there's a lot 
that uh, there's a lot of nuance there. There's a lot of information and a lot of things that are worth discussing when it comes to that. But then also in the same week, uh, somebody who has been around comics for a long time, a 20 year career at least. uh, And and, and, and very good. Yeah. Uh, and somebody who came up at the same time we did uh, made a Patreon post that they made public and said, uh, hey, people ask me all the time, how do you, how would you succeed if you were starting today? And he shared his thoughts and and said the, it, it kind of came around to honestly, I don't I don't know. I don't know. how I, It seems like it would be very tough. And I, I, we're not again, we're not I, I'm purposefully not naming him because I want to talk about the concepts and not the person. Mm-hmm. And also because you really get the feeling like I'm looking at his tweet right now. And uh, and he says, listen, my answer is doubtlessly incomplete. It, it will have ignored vast tranches of evidence. It's full of conven- uh, confirmation bias. But I answered the way I would have done in person. I'm, he's just trying to share some thoughts. So we're not going to, you know, we're not going to say, oh, this was bad. That was bad. But we do want to take some of those thoughts in this same uh, show and drill down on them so we can talk about the concepts because there's so much there yeah. that oh, needs yeah. to be unpacked. Well, boy, where to start? I mean, yeah. let's start with Webtoons because uh, this this could turn into a whole hour conversation between yeah. just these two topics. Lord knows Brad and I have, yeah. have uh, yelled down the phone to each other about this for <laughs> almost an hour. So Webtoons, uh, let's let's just get this out of the way. Yeah. They are massively successful in doing a, a specific thing very well, which is right. they have basically defined an entirely new way of reading comics. Yeah. Um, as most of us know, the Asian market, uh, the the most folks access the internet via phone, not via home computer, versus the Canadian North American market, which yeah. traditionally, at least, was via your laptop, your home computer, your work computer, your school computer, and so most people, most websites, at least in the '90s and and early 2000s, on the U.S. side, yeah. were designed for uh, desktop computing. On on uh, Korea and Japan side, they were a lot of stuff was designed for mobile because it was just more people were commuting, more people yep. were using phone. It's just a cultural, small cultural difference. Anyway, uh, step into that Naver, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, which was mm-hmm. the parent company of Webtoons. Uh, basically, the the owner saw the collapse of the the, man, uh, the manga market in, I believe it's actually pronounced man, Manhua. Is that right, Brad? Yeah, you, yeah, that's, that's right. Uh, the, the market in Korea in the 90s, much like it happened in the U.S., and said, there's got to be a better way. You know what? W- with phones, I bet if we stacked them vertically, uh, it would work great. Anyway, line webtoons now. Webtoons took off like uh, like wildfire. It spread yeah. to Japan, spread to Korea, or spread to China, excuse me, and then made it to the U.S. and kind of supplanted, I would think, Brad, what Go Comics and uh, King Features were doing or trying yeah. to do with traditional uh, horizontally oriented American newspaper comic strips. Mm-hmm. Um, it just did it better. Let's be honest about it. They yeah. just did it better. And they grew like wildfire. And then the real money for them as a company came when they started taking their existing properties, making mobile games out of it, making yep. uh, mini television and web uh, television shows out of it. So that's where the real money was for Webtoons. So I think that's where this advertisement is coming from, is that this is a marketing team whose bread is buttered, not necessarily by (laughs) comics, but by taking comics and applying it to mini web games, apps, uh, uh, portable games, uh, TV shows, web shows. And so they're not really focused in the way you or I or somebody at Image Comics would be focused on the comics themselves. They're focused on like 
how do I grow the wider business? And I think, Brad, that's where this advertisement was coming from. Don't you think? Oh, I think so. I think absolutely. And I think you hit the nail right on the head when you say that Webtoons really came out in front when they went to that vertical scroll and, and they, they, that was the whole thing. They doubled down on that. Everything yep. was vertical yep. scroll and caught folks like us and a lot of other people flat footed who had been going for years saying, I'll get around to mobile optimization yep. one yep. day. I'll get around to that. And and I did it. I, I dragged my feet on it. You dragged I your did. feet. We I all did. We all did. Feet on and it. we yeah. got caught flat footed on yeah. that uh, yeah. and, and watched Webtoons come in and just dominate. And so what happened was right now you've got an entire generation of young cartoonists and comics artists who are convinced that Webtoons is the only place in town. It's the only platform that they could possibly find an audience. They, in, in their minds, in fact, if you read a lot of what they're saying, uh, this is the only place uh, that comics readers are. Right. That, that right. this is where comics readers are. They're on Webtoons. That's where the audience is. That's where uh, I've got my best chance of monetization. Right. Uh, they, they don't know how to publish necessarily. And Webtoons is plug and play. And that's important. And also, number four, you weren't they don't can really consider you a professional until you're on Webtoons, to which Dave and I are going to say, hey. That sounds familiar because he and I and a bunch of us lived through all of that, that whole thing where there's only one place to get an audience. There's only one place to get money. There's only one place to be a professional. I don't have to know how to publish. I can just plug and play. We lived through this. It was called Keen Spot back in the day. And that's everything that you are right now living through with Webtoons. We've, we've been there. We call it Keen Spot. I was going to say, we've lived through that. And we also lived through the earlier iteration, which was called the newspaper, which was, you know, an earlier version of that's the place you go to not have to think about how the publishing actually happens. You submit your comics, you make the money, bada bing, bada boom, you're done. And so it's this idea. And and by the way, all businesses go through this, the sort of atomization of uh, towards individual uh, creation. And then someone comes along and says, what if we syndicated this? Or what if we made uh, a talent agency? Or what if we put it all together into one public? house. Uh, and that happened with film. It happened with radio. It happened with TV. It happened with comics. And it's happening, right. uh, you know, in real time from yeah. what web comics were in the early 2000s to this. And it's just worth reminding the world, Brad and I and a bunch of other people have made a great go of, of living a very independent life yeah. uh, and using tools and companies where possible to be incorporated into our business, but yeah. not necessarily being subsumed into their business. Yeah. And here's the thing. I I was talking about this with Scott Kurtz over the phone uh, over the weekend, and we kind of came to uh, a realization. Uh, So uh, our generation of of independent artists, right, those that first crew that came in in the early 2000s, right, we were defined as kind of fighting with the older generation who said there's only one place you can put your comics. There's only one way to get monetized. And we were all saying, no, we're going to do this independently. There's a, there's a path for us. It's a better path. And, but, and, and there was a lot of fights there between us and the syndicated cartoonists 
who were, were very much saying, you know, that, that, that doesn't make any sense to us, right? We were defined by that in the early 2000s. And now we're being defined by exactly the same fight, Dave, except instead of fighting with the older generation, we're kind of having uh, these, and it's not a fight in the, for quite so much as it is uh, an ex- a, a very passionate exchange of how things can be done with the younger generation. Now we're, it's the same exact fight. <laughs> it's the same exact that conflict, all the same d- different uh, 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 re- references are there, uh, but now we're having it with the younger generation. In a way, yeah, but let's, I think you would agree to these differences, though, is that the problem we had with older generation who were coming out of print where they were like, you kids are ruining it. We had a good thing yeah. going yeah. and you are coming in and ruining it. And we were right. like, no, you don't understand. The print world is falling apart. We're trying to build something new. And by the yes. way, all the complaints that you ever had about print, we're trying to address by owning and controlling our own Right. Uh, careers, right? So that was our argument with the older generation. With the younger generation, we're in a little bit trying to say, don't necessarily go down this path so whole cloth. Ha! Yes. Maybe yes. own and control your own path a little bit more. We're trying to help you. Yeah. Uh, and they're like, sit down before you fall down, old man. Like, right. we're, we're burning up a trail on Webtoons. And we're like, look, we get it. They're offering you book contracts. That's nice. Right. They're saying we might be able to develop this into a TV show. That's nice, right. too. How right. much do you own? How yes. much do you control? Don't get screwed. We've seen this this show before many times. Be yeah. careful. And yeah. I, I think some in that generation don't want to hear it. Uh, and But that's okay. I get it. I mean, a part of it is a generational thing of a whole group of people that grew up not with the World Wide Web or hypertext transfer protocol, but yeah. with apps. And the idea that that's how you access the internet was you went through apps, you went through Twitter or FaceTime or excuse me, not FaceTime, Facebook or <laughs> yeah. Instagram or Webtoons or whatever the app is going to be. Even the even the appization of Reddit and stuff like that is that yeah. uh, there's a whole generation growing up that doesn't necessarily see the wider picture of the World Wide Web or, or the Internet, broadly speaking. Yeah. Uh, and they just see it as like, no, you have to go through these gatekeepers, these companies that control the apps. Right. And, and, that, and that just isn't the case, especially if you're doing good work. Work. And and that we've always yeah. got to take a little pause and say, listen, we need to talk about this. I might as well just put this here. Uh, uh, you need to be doing good work. And, and if you're doing good work, people will uh, go to where you are, whether you're posting it on Twitter, whether you're posting on a website, whether you're posting it here, whether you're posting there, you can build an audience. Dave and I have very strong feelings about where you should be building your audience. Mm-hmm. And that is on a website, or at least having that website as the center of your hub of activities so that you can control that. Absolutely. We're going to say that. And it doesn't, again, it doesn't matter that you don't think that, that people don't use websites. The fact of the matter is uh, provably, empirically, factually, they do. Okay. And it's very powerful. You've got to understand that part. But here's the other thing you've got to understand too. It's very easy. In fact, here's one of the things that this uh, old guard web cartoonist was saying, uh, was like, you know, I don't know how anybody succeeds today. And uh, it's very easy to kind of get uh, confused by that because it seems like the only uh, the only successful web cartoonists are the ones that have been doing this for a long time. Right, right, right. right. And, and so there's a couple of things there. I want to, I want to unpack two things. Number one, uh, and you see this from time to time where somebody says, how would a web cartoonist, uh, or how would an independent comics artist survive and succeed today? Build a time machine back to 2001, right? You see that a oh, lot. The most unhelpful way to, to say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so let's, so the, here's the first place I'm going to unpack. 
uh, and that's this. <laughs> we, as the people who've been doing this for a long time, we are mentors when we're saying stuff like that. And I think we need to be better mentors. And I know that like build a time machine is like a tongue in cheek phrase. It's not meant to be taken seriously, but there's an element of cruelty to that. In other words, it's saying, well, I guess I was born at the right time and you weren't tough noodles for you. Uh, there's an element of cruelty to that. And and we need to be cognizant of that right. so we don't let that uh, harm that new generation of cartoonists who, by the way, are coming into, let's face it, Dave, right now, this stage in a at this day and age, a golden age for independent comics. Yes. A yes, golden absolutely. age. There's, there, there's, there's, I know it feels oppressive. I know it's, it, you think that social media is keeping with, you down. With tools, tools and services that we would have killed for oh, in the early 2000s. Truthfully, truthfully, it's a no joke. wonderful time. You've got so much opportunity. That's part of what we want to talk about this so much about is because we don't want you to get discouraged uh, because, uh, you know, here's the other thing. Let's say you you're 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 convinced that uh, the only way you can succeed in comics is to go back in a time machine to 2001. There's there, there's an insult there too because it it totally writes off a bunch of creators who came in in the second decade of web comics after 2010. Whole bunch of creators coming in after that who found success. You're bigger you're writing, success. You're writing off Rachel Smythe and, and Lord uh, Laura Olympus, right? A uh, uh, webtoons uh, right off the bat. Alice Oseman with Heartstopper, which is being developed into a Netflix series, came in in the second decade of web comics. Nathan Pyle, Strange Planet, he's a second decade guy. And Gozi Ukazu, former guest of the show with Check Please, second decade. Uh, Sarah Anderson, Sarah Scribbles second decade of web comics. If you go to Graftrion right now, and you had this idea, Dave, I actually followed it up and you're going to see a lot of names in the, in the upper registers of uh, uh, comics on Patreon that are old school names. You also see a bunch of names that you and I have never heard of before, yes, right? Yeah. A bunch <laughs> who, who are absolutely doing great work, have found their audience. Uh, and I, uh, cause I checked you. Dave, and, and you were absolutely right. There's a whole bunch of, of what I call, you know, second wave, second decade of right. web cartoonist authors there. Uh, here's, here's where we have to put our minds in the right format for this to work. It, we get a little bit confused by the fact that there's a lot of 20-year veterans that are successful, right? And, and then you think, well, the only way to su be successful is to get in that time machine. Here's the thing that we have to understand, and this is something you hear on this show week after week. This thing that we do takes time. Yes. It takes a long time. It takes time to build an audience. And, and I know you don't want to hear this next part because I certainly didn't when I was starting out. I can't imagine you're different. It takes time to get good yeah. at comics. Yeah. And, and that's part of the reason Dave and I are passionate right now is because if you hear the only way to succeed in comics is to get a time machine, you're going to get discouraged and you're not going to use that time that you should be using to get better on your own journey. Yeah. It also, it's disingenuous survivor's bias too, because yes. when a yes. cartoonist our age says, well, I don't know how you would make it today. I yeah. always want to say, you jerk. You didn't know how to make it when you were in your twenties. <laughs> we the didn't. Truth. 
We yeah. didn't know how to. And the thing is, because that's it takes stick to itiveness. It takes hard work. It takes consistency. It yeah. takes learning from your peers what's working. And yeah. it takes it takes keeping your head on a swivel to right. see what's changing around your industry. That's the same thing that it was when we were in our 20s. And it's yeah. the same thing for people coming up right now. That's that's yeah. not different. You know how to succeed in the same way that you did not know the surefire path in your 20s when we yeah. were coming up in the two, early 2000s. Uh, yep. And the same is true now. Of course, they don't know the surefire path. There's not a surefire path. The right. surefire way to ensure that you will probably do well, hard work, consistency, yep. Yep. learn from your peers, keep your head on a swivel. That will do it. That's going to be the trick. And yes, like Brad said, it's going to take five to seven years or 10,000 hours, if you want to say it, to yep. get good at cartooning and get good at the business of cartooning. Remember, first you get good, then you get fast, then you get good and fast. And that's going to take five to seven years or about 10,000 yeah. hours. And, 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 and by the way, five to seven years, maybe more. I know it took me more than, than seven years to get good. I'm, I'm still wondering whether I've gotten good, but it, it took me a long time to get Brad, to where no, listen, I thought in, I was in doing all decent work. Humility aside, you're good. That's yeah, not, well, that's not, you know, we couldn't set aside our humility. Like it took, we, we were good enough at a five to seven years. We were making a living, making our income, all that sort of like, let's not be disingenuous. Fair about enough. Our own. Fair enough. But here's, here's my point, And that is this, uh, it took me a long time. And there's no guarantees. There's right. no guarantees. No. And, and by the way, uh, that's not uh, uh, only a comics thing. That's true of all of the creative arts and all of the performing arts uh, at the professional level. There's no guarantee. Tom Cruise has had a decade. Uh, Tom, I'm going to go with Tom Hanks. Tom Hanks has had a decades long career in the performing arts came in in the eighties uh, with as a as a comedy actor as a comedian. Do right. you know who else came in to a comedy in movies in the eighties? Pauly Shore. Okay, now there's we haven't seen as much from Pauly Shore. His uh, career took another turn, perfectly valid turns, I'm sure. I haven't checked in on Pauly Shore. Yeah. I don't mean to throw a, a you know brickbats at him, but. Here's my thing. Neither one of those people were guaranteed anything. They weren't guaranteed a future. Dave and I, who have been doing this 20 years, we are not guaranteed a 21st year or right, a 22nd right. year. There are no guarantees to any of this. You are not. You, if anybody comes up and tells you they know how to guarantee success, they're selling you something. Well, and I think if we're being generous to our friends and peers who are saying, who throw up their hands and say, I don't know how you would succeed today. Right, maybe right. it's the fact that they don't want to be caught out with some form of implied guarantee that if you right. do X, Y, Z, then you'll succeed. And I, yeah. I get that. No one wants to be like, I did the things that you said and I don't have success because obviously right. there's, there's no guarantee that the path works out for you. So they probably don't want to put that out there. But I think it, I, I do think it is a disservice to say, I don't know how you would succeed yeah. because it's like, dang it, the 20 year old, you would give the answer. And the answer is hard work, consistently yep. keeping your head on a swivel and learning from your peers. That's the way you do it. Right. And uh, uh, go ahead, Brad, jump in. I, I want to go to another topic here uh, because here's something that, uh, that that comes up quite a bit in these conversations. And it, and it makes me crazy. People are saying, yeah, all the things that we said, right, Dave? And and probably right now, this very minute, somebody is listening uh, to the podcast in their ear and they're saying, here's the thing that Brad and Dave don't understand. It's different today. Yeah. Web comics yeah. is oversaturated. Web comics is crowded. How scary is that? I, I knew what you were thinking there listening at home. 
uh, web comics is crowded. It's oversaturated. There's no way to break through. Yeah. Right. Here's the thing I want you to think about. <laughs> okay. Yes. Web comics. There's a lot more in volume web comics being produced today than there was when Dave and I started out in the early 2000s. True. Here's the difference you got to understand. <laughs> Most of that stuff, well over 80% of that stuff that's being produced today is not good. It's not very good. It's got low quality and the writing isn't there uh, and the art certainly uh, isn't there. Uh, it's not good. And in a social media dominated landscape, what happens to that is it filters to the bottom of the tank almost mm -hmm. immediately because not good stuff is not is getting no engagement. Okay. Uh, so it's filtering to the bottom very, very quickly, almost instantaneously, which means that it's almost invisible. It's almost negligible because it's almost not there. It's, it's disappearing as soon as they're posting it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, that's what you've got to understand when back in the early 2000s, yes, there were much fewer people doing this, but it was nigh impossible to find readers, certainly compared to today. That's when we used all those things that we've talked about before, uh -huh. web rings, and we joined up with, we formed collectives like Keen Spot, and then we formed other collectives like Blank Label Comics and so forth. Uh, we, we, we made up an awful lot of stuff as we went along, which is, by the way, if you're a young person today, what you need to be doing too, you need to start making some stuff up as you go along. Mm -hmm. uh, but Compared uh, to those two time zones, right between the early web comics and the and and today's web comics, uh, it was very difficult to find a reader. And if you found a reader, good luck getting them to buy something by putting a credit card into a website. That sent people screaming out of the room. The idea, yeah. hey, a Patreon, forget about it. Kickstarter. Forget about it. You getting somebody to put their credit card into a website oh, and, God, and yeah. monetize what you're doing. We relied on ads. We relied on completely passive uh, uh, revenue through ads. And uh, right up until the time people started putting ad blockers on their uh, uh, on their devices. And at that moment, if you would have given us a magic wand and say, disappear all the ad blockers, we would have. But it turns out that it brought us to crowdfunding, which has been way more lucrative for mm -hmm. publishing than ad revenue ever was. Uh, but that's my point. <laughs> that's my point. Uh, it, it, and that is that, yes, it feels like it's a lot more crowded, uh, but all of that stuff is filtering to the bottom, at which point you're saying, but Brad, I'm doing good work and, and my stuff is filtering too. At which uh, the only thing I can say to you is, again, you've got to keep doing, you've got to do that frequent, consistent, significant approach that we talked about. You've got to keep posting that stuff. You've got to keep going. You've got to keep posting because you're not going to build. Remember, Dave, not too long ago, we had our, our, our listener that said, hey, how do I get the most number of uh, responses? How do I get the most engagement with my first post? And we said, you do not understand what you're getting into. You don't understand what webcomics is. It isn't about getting the most number of engagement for your first post. It's about posting over and over and over again and picking up like a rolling stone, picking up moss, uh, it, it building up your audience one at a time, yep. little by little. Yep. It's it's painstaking. You better freaking love comics because it's the only thing you're going to have for the first couple of years is your love. Uh, but that's, again, this thing takes time.
It does. And uh, the thing, I, not to switch topics, but one of the things that that made me frustrated about the Webtoons yeah. uh, marketing thing, just to switch back yeah. for a second, is that uh, Brad and I are over here advertising that, like, look, this is a career worth worth doing. It's worth yes. owning and controlling on your own. And we get it that Webtoons for a lot of people is a potential easy uh, switch to flip where you could potentially yeah. go from zero to 10,000 readers within a couple of months if you're good on Webtoons. Right. We get right. that. Yeah. This is a platform that's dedicated towards comic readers, and we understand why people would want to use that, even if they don't see it as the be-all, end-all, as a stepping right. stone, right? right? And that's why it was so frustrating to have this corporation who is, to us and yeah. to younger people, uh, a sort of hallmark of where comics are going and where people are reading comics right mm -hmm. now, to have have them say that comics are the side hustle of literature, right? <laughs> yeah. And so just to reemphasize, uh, I just think it was a bad marketing choice. But the thing is, for 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 you, you have to realize Webtoons, like many other things, is one tool in your toolkit. Right. You are ultimately owning and controlling your own career. And so you cannot throw all your eggs in this one basket in the same way that you shouldn't be throwing your validation into yes. the hands of a small marketing team, probably yeah. based out of San Francisco that doesn't really mm -hmm. use Webtoons. And they were given this job to market Webtoons to New York uh, subway riders. But what I'm getting at is neither look for your validation nor look for your, the holistic uh, push of your entire career from one corporation, one platform. It is a tool Remember, yeah. you are the one, you are the one that's using multiple platforms, multiple tools, multiple services, multiple social medias to yes. reach an audience that you can build up on your own that you can own and control. So yeah. neither look for validation nor look for uh, a single platform to uh, to launch you in the, into the stratosphere. It is a slow growing thing of five, six, seven years, maybe more uh, of, like Brad said, being consistent, mm -hmm. significant and enjoyable, frankly. And you'll get there. You'll get there. But it's not an yeah. overnight thing. Here's another thing that I want to talk about, uh, because it talk it comes up a lot when you're talking about people who have been doing this for a long time from the independent comics uh, side, you know, these OG web cartoonists. And that is that they had kind of a legacy audience that they uh, that they've built and they have two decades of goodwill that they're uh, playing off of. All right. 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 Something that we got to understand there, this whole idea of having a legacy audience. And that is this. Uh, you've heard me say on the show before that there are infinite readers. And, it, and sometimes we make a mistake as creators when we think about our audience as one finite group of people. That right. just kind of follow us along from this thing into the next thing into the next thing. It's and, and it feels like it's the same group of people because like if you're doing a, a Kickstarter, you see the same names pop up. Uh, a lot of times you start to become familiar, familiar with the names. You see them following your your Patreon. Uh, it's, it's easy to kind of think that this is the same group of people that you're just bringing on a legacy basis from one to the next. But the fact of the matter is, Dave and I can tell you, we are audience building every day of the week. We are yeah. audience building on yeah. a continuous basis. And if we don't, <laughs> we're going to we're going to lose that audience. Yeah, I mean, honestly, think of your readership like the ship of Theseus 
in the oh. sense that at any given time, you're yes. losing 5%, yes. and hopefully you're gaining 6%. But let's say you're, yes. you're gaining 5%. You're losing 5%, gaining 5%. Every month, you're losing 5 gaining 5 losing 5 gaining 5 You have completely ship of Theseus to your audience within yeah. a couple of years because, yeah. I mean, Grant, that's not the case, obviously. You're going to keep a few. But you get yeah. where I'm going with that, which is yes. it's going to be a completely different audience. It's not a legacy stuck with you forever, ride or die, we're going to go everywhere you go kind of an audience. You yeah. constantly have to earn it. That's the key thing. With with every post and with every new tr platform that you might be jumping onto, you have to re-earn it. It's, it's not a guarantee that they will stick with you. Yeah. And let's go to the second part of that whole thing. A legacy audience uh, and two decades of goodwill. Well, listen, I got news for you. Goodwill only gets you so far. We are on it. We are. Comics has always been commerce and we are on a transactional basis with our audience. The minute we stop doing good comics, those that goodwill evaporates. The moment we stop doing work, the, mo the moment we stop uh, uh, engaging uh, in different ways, the moment that stuff stops, the goodwill stops. Right. Same way as people, uh, you know, when you stop uh, uploading to your Patreon, all that good will that you thought you had starts to dissipate a little bit. Uh, it might get you to coast for a little while uh, on it, but goodwill only gets you so far. Uh, it, comics are transactional. We right. have to keep bringing it month after month, year after year, if we want to be professional comics artists. Yeah. And so uh, I think as weird as it was, the the, the comparison to Polly Shore is kind of accurate in the sense yeah. that um, we do have a survivor's bias uh, amongst OG cartoonists now of like, well, we made it because it was easier. Motherfucker, it wasn't easier in early 2000s. <laughs> there was no social media. There was yeah. no uh, Reddit to speak of. Credit card transactions, as Brad was saying, was impossible. We were reliant for the most part either on going to conventions, physically yes. going to conventions, yes. or somehow beg borrowing or stealing another cartoonist to <laughs> recommend us in their blog, <laughs> right? Yeah. Or potentially these larger web rings or, or groups and amalgamations. That was how we spread the word. That was right. harder. But there's this weird survivorship bias that it's like, well, it was easier back then. The only way to do it is a time machine. No, it is not. It was yeah. not. It was demonstrably easier to do it now <laughs> than it was to do it then to grab right. an audience. So it's only because the, you're talking to the, the, the one out of a thousand cartoonists that survived from the early 2000s that you're getting this weird survivorship bias that, right. well, I don't know. It was it was easier in the earlier 2000s. It yeah. was not. I guarantee yeah. you it was not. Yeah. So I'll tell you what, let's wrap this segment up, Dave, with uh, we've, we've been, you know, we've been saying, well, this is wrong. That's wrong that's wrong. We've been, we've been shaking our fingers a lot and that's fine. Yeah. Uh, or at least I have, uh, but uh, let's, so let's, let's pretend we've got a young person in front of us who says, well, listen, webtoons is the only way to go. It's the only way I can build a career. Uh, let's give this person some thoughts that perhaps that they could uh, take from that and uh, 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 figure something out. In other words, what, what advice would we give to a young person starting out today? Okay. Uh, the first thing I think you would do is uh, for the first couple of years of your comic, let's say the first two years, really focus on the art side of comics. Don't even worry yeah. about the business per se in the first. I mean, you can passively. Obviously, if you really love it and you're thinking about it all the time, there's going to be some passing thoughts. That's fine. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, the first couple of years are art building. And so yeah. to that point, I would say buy a URL. Let's say it's it's susanscomics.com, right? Buy yeah. susanscomics.com. You can just park it. It doesn't necessarily have to. You don't have to build and develop a whole website yet. 
Right. But if you wanted to do one of those simple, basic like Google websites or you could use a Squarespace site or something, you know, something basic, basic uh, that has, uh, uh, you know, content management system. Yep. Great. That's fine. And then point Susanscomics.com towards that. That's fine. You're on you're off to the races. Mm -hmm. You're using social media to share it, to build it, to distribute it. You're posting it on Reddit, on subreddits like comics or on funny or on yes. adventure or on fantasy or whatever subgenre you might be writing to. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, can you be doing something like Tapas Webtoons? Uh, yes, but I would strongly recommend you read that contract uh, yeah. before you click yes. Uh, there's always ownership and control issues. I, for example, started a drive page, Brad, and realized, oh, you dummy, you haven't read the contract yet. And so it's just been sitting with nothing posted on, on drive over on Webtoons because I was like, you know what? No, I've really developed this into something special. Yeah. I don't want to accidentally yeah. sign away some right that I'm not paying attention to. So right. I like, like most smart cartoonists, don't jump into something unless you've read and vetted the contract and then build, you know, bunker, hunker down for a couple of years. And and as you're putting out consistent, uh, strong work, your best work, uh, you're spreading it as best you can. And you're you're keeping your head down and you're working. How about yeah. you, Brad? What's the advice you would give to a young cartoonist? Listen, I, I, I know they don't want to hear start with a website and and that's fine. That's OK. If you can, you can OK Boomer us on that one. That's OK. Yeah, uh, that's it, fine. It, you know, we're just going to turn around and go back to doing comics anyway, so it doesn't matter. But listen, if you if that's not a good fit for you, OK, that's that's OK. I it, It's good advice, uh, but uh, you don't have to. We're not going to force you to take it. Uh, but I would think uh, for yourself that you have to think that you have something. Think of a wheel and you are at the hub of that wheel. You have to put something there that you can control wherever mm -hmm. that is, mm -hmm. however that looks for you. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the the spokes of that wheel are going to go out and uh, uh, try to uh, look for audience and readers wherever you can. Right. As long as at some point you've got that hub that you always control that you can always point those people to. So one of the spokes might be Webtoons. One of those spokes might be Tapas. One of those spokes might be Twitter. Uh, Reddit, it, 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 there's a lot of places where audience lies. Meanwhile, if that hub, as we're suggesting, is a, web uh, is a website, make sure that it is mobile optimized. Make sure that if you if somebody does go to that website from their phone, that they get a vertical scroll. That's crucial. Nobody wants to pinch and zoom your stuff. In the same way, you've got to make sure that that whatever you're posting is as readable as possible on the different places you're posting it. Like Twitter, you have to remember, like we've told you in the past, if you're doing a four panel horizontal strip and you're po posting four panels horizontal on Twitter, that's horrible. That's unreadable, <laughs> right? Find right. a way to turn that into a square, two panels up, two panels down. Now you got something. You do not want to make people have to pinch and zoom to read your comic because they just won't, especially if they're not sure if they're not sure you're going to be any good. They take a look at your comic and they got to do work to read it. And they're going to say, what's the chances that punchline even ends uh, or even lands at the end? Right. right. So right. Uh, but anyway, my point is control your hub, send spokes out into the universe that, yes. that bring people into that hub and then buckle up for the long haul. This is a long build. And the fact of the matter is, even though you, man, I'm telling you, Dave, if you would have told Brad Geiger in 2002, he just wasn't doing great work yet. Uh, he wouldn't have believed you. 
So I don't, I, 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 you're probably in the same place. Uh, you're not going to believe me, but you're not as good today as you're going to be in 10 years. Yep. So you b- might as well start now. So that 10 years comes earlier for you than if you drag your feet. Right. And that's really, that's the crucial part of all of this stuff is when you hear people saying, you know, legacy audience and two decades of goodwill and all this other stuff, it, webtoons is the only place you could possibly uh, build an audience. It, it gets frustrating and it gets uh, demoralizing and you, you might quit uh, before you really should, uh, before you've had a chance to really see if you could ever be good. That's the danger that Dave and I are, are worried about is that we don't want you to give, uh, we don't right. want you to take a look at that and get so frustrated that you don't give it a shot. Absolutely. And I want to speak for a second about the, the broader uh, idea about how you take advice and where you take advice. Yeah. Because uh, Brad and I, with all the best intentions, are are week after week giving you our best advice for how to make right. it when you're whether regardless of what age you are, starting right now as a cartoonist. Yeah. But here's the thing. I want you to cultivate the idea that you are going to run everything through your filter. So you're taking yeah. in what Brad and I are saying. Yes. You're also, by the way, taking in what these OG web cartoonists are saying that mm-hmm. are throwing up their hands saying, I don't know how you would succeed because right. even they have good kernels of advice in those same yes. write-ups that Brad and I are disagreeing with because they're smart, they're savvy, they're good. And so whenever you see someone like Ngozi or Sarah Anderson or, or Smythe talking about their cartooning, yeah. take it in, soak yes. it up and run it through your filter. How can you apply it through your career. What Brad and I say is, again, given with all the best intentions, but we might not be the right advice for how you are planning to attack your career. So run it through your own filter and and build a career that works for you, for the genre, the style, the tone that you want to develop by taking us and many other sources in because you're keeping your head on a swivel. Yes. And then you can do in 20 years, you can be on your podcast saying that you did what we did, which was we, <laughs> which was that we, we, we took all that in and we made something up as we went along. We found our way, we found right. our path right. and, and, and it worked out. Here's, here's the thing. Dave's absolutely right. Listen to all that stuff. If you, you know, I will tell you, I, when we talk about, you know, start with a website and build on social media and all and own and control your own work. I'm going to tell you, I really think that that is the best way to do it. Now, you have every right in the world to take all of that and say, eh, sounds good, but I'm going to I'm going to do a little variation on that theme. I'm going to take my own approach to it. I'm going to take right. what I know and add that to what Brad and Dave said, and I'm going to come up with my own thing. Uh we want you to do that. Absolutely. We, we, yes. We're dying to see what innovations you come up with. Some of them aren't going to work. Some of them uh, are, are, are just going to flop, but some of them maybe are going to work. And Dave and I are going to be the first ones cheering for you the loudest when that happens. And the second thing we're going to do is say, ah, what can we take from that? <laughs> what can we borrow from that innovation that works for us? So here's here's the here's the uh, kind of the the moral to all of this. We innovated our asses off in the early 2000s. We had to, or else right. we wouldn't have survived. Right. Take that innovation. Take what you can use from it, uh, and make your own innovation because. We guarantee you this. We're going to be watching because we're good at this now. We're good at innovation and we know good at innovation when we see it. And when we see you succeed, we'll be the first ones to say, ah, that's something I can use. And then we will steal your business plan. (laughs) I was trying not to use the word steal, but you're absolutely (laughs) right.
if you're listening while you work, take a minute to stand and stretch. And while you're doing that, we're going to tell you why you should join us on Patreon. When you do, you're going to get hours and hours of podcasts that we've recorded just for backers. And exclusive Patreon posts that go even deeper on Comic Lab topics. And access to our exclusive Discord server, which is a thriving community of professional cartoonists. So you can support the show you love and get tons of actionable resources for your own cartooning. And listen, if you can't swing a pledge this month, we get it. No worries. Yeah, yeah, listen, you can still support the show by rating us wherever you get your podcasts. Just leave a five-star review and a few kind words. That, along with mentions on social media, is incredibly helpful. Now, everybody, let's talk comics. So, Dave, I hear you've got an update from San Diego. <laughs> from San Diego Comic-Con, yes. So uh, this has never happened to me before, Brad, and I wanted to share it in the case that it could help the wider community with potential trademark and IP problems with uh, Comic-Con. So yeah. as everyone knows, San Diego Comic-Con, I think they're celebrating, what, year 52, 50? It started like in the mid-70s, so I think it's yeah. year 52, 50, something like that. Anyway, uh, San Diego Comic-Con, for many, many decades, did not defend their trademark to the use of the phrase Comic-Con. And now, as most folks know about trademark, you uh, there's a kind of a multi-step process. First, you file for the TM mark, which is a trademark. And mm -hmm. then over, I think it's a decade of use, uh, you can get the registered mark, which is the R in the circle. That's the more right. official, like we've super duper have proved we've used it in the market. But it also requires that you defend the mark. You have to, to shoo away basically everyone else from using the mark jacuzzi or else jacuzzi becomes, uh, you know, common parlance or you shoo everyone away from using Kleenex. Uh, or else Kleenex will become common parlance. You have to defend your trademark, right? Or else you get into those two historical representations of people that went awry with trademarks. Anyway, so Comic-Con for decades allowed other shows around the U.S. to use the phrase Comic-Con. And then all of a sudden, about 10, 15 years ago, they got a bug up their butt and said, no, we got to defend this trademark. So they've started filing uh, basically trademark defenses around the country. Some have yeah. been pretty successful, like the, against the show in Salt Lake. Uh, others against like bigger shows like New York Comic-Con, not a small show, uh, yeah. have had more legal troubles. Anyway. Long story short, Dave Kellett kind of forgot all about this in the two years since I've done San Diego Comic-Con. Yeah. And I did a little exclusive pin for uh, San Diego Comic-Con, Brad. And the pin itself, not a problem. But I made a two-cent backing board. It's basically a business card right. with the Sheldon logo, and it looks real cool. And it just says Comic-Con exclusive, which is true. It is a Comic-Con exclusive. However, for the first time, I got a letter from Comic-Con, who they're always very nice. They're like, hey, uh, you don't own the phrase Comic-Con. You can't use the phrase Comic-Con. Uh, we need to talk about if you want to license the phrase Comic-Con oh. to be used on your... And I'm like, ah, oh, geez, Louise. Uh, my first reaction was like, God damn it, I'm not a big enough fry to like to, to mess around. Like, go sue New York Comic-Con again. I'm not right. your enemy right. here. I've gone to San Diego for 22 years. But then I was like, I get it. You're trying to defend your trademark. Right. And so I just wanted to give an update to the world. Uh, just a reminder that Comic Book is co-owned by... Uh, uh, Marvel and DC, don't put that on your printed versions of your comic books. They will at times come down on you for using comic book, which is a problem that Image Comics has had in the yeah. past. And then Comic-Con is owned, theoretically at least, by San Diego Comic-Con uh, in the USPTO. So don't use the phrase Comic-Con like Dave Kellett stupidly did. Wow. You could probably get away, as I will do, by using, quote, con-exclusive. 
gone is a generic enough and it's not a specific filing with the USPTO. So, Brad, that's my first update this week is don't use the phrase Comic-Con. So you didn't even use the logo. You just used the words Comic-Con exclusive. And yes. that was that was enough to set them off and and get a cease and desist. Uh, uh, yeah, and they're filing. You know, you can file trademarks different ways. Their yeah. filing is without a logo with the phrase just the phrase Comic Con, and I think it's hyphen. Wow! Uh, but that is their trademark filing. And so, it, is it silly? Yes. Right. Do I understand why they're defending the mark? Yes. Yeah. Uh, is it is it a bummer that I spent I don't know seventy bucks making these backing cards that I can't use publicly? Yes, yeah. but it's it's a small lesson learned. So, but anyway, I want the world to learn from my mistake. Don't use the phrase Comic Con in any sort right. of public advertising. They're 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 clearly uh, scanning the web more and more, and they're keeping an eye out for it. Yeah. So I've got one other update for today, and that is Backer Kit, which you've heard me endorse here on the show uh, as uh, as a way to do back end servicing on your Kickstarter. Uh, you know, right once your Kickstarter funds uh, and you're sending it out, you can get people to kind of buy extra stuff using Backer Kit. Uh, and I'm a big fan of BackerKit, uh, as a matter of fact. Yeah, you are. They just announced that they are now launching their own crowdfunding platform uh, to compete with Kickstarter. Okay. And uh, it's worth noting, uh, you've you've heard us kind of talk like, nah, you know, keep your, keep your uh, expectations realistic. We talked about Zoop not too long ago. That was uh, going to be a Kickstarter uh, competitor. And we were saying, listen, the, the, the big thing you've got to look at, our big takeaway on that conversation was what's the user base, right? How many users do they have? Because that's really uh, kind of where the rubber meets the road in terms of making this decision, at least for us, is, you know, how many users do they have? And then, of course, you have to gauge how you personally feel about uh, the rest of the stuff that Kickstarter uh, was talking about doing in terms right. of crypto and so forth. Uh, the reason I want to put BackerKit out there is because BackerKit was used in so many Kickstarter campaigns mm-hmm. that it might be it might be getting up there in terms of their user base. I have not been able to find any confirmation of how many people are already registered with BackerKit. Right. But uh, my spidey sense says it might be a pretty formidable number. And so uh, BackerKit is one that at least I want to put on your radar so that uh, – you at least can make a judgment for yourself. I'm not going to endorse it as a uh, as a replacement for Kickstarter, uh, but it is something that is worth being on your radar. Yeah, I, I want to speak for one second, if I could step back for uh, to talk about this, is that um, one of the frustrations that I have with Kickstarter, um, and do not get me wrong, I love Kickstarter and I love what Kickstarter has done for my career. I think yeah. it has been an excellent service and platform for what I want to do with, I've done, I don't know, 15, 16, 17 projects with them. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've all uh, uh, benefited from Kickstarter's presence. But here's a, a, a kind of weird truth about Kickstarter. They innovated like mad right out of the gate. Yeah. The first two, three, four years of Kickstarter, man, they were they were just firing on all pistons. They yeah. were doing so good. And the service got really good really quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first couple of years, for those that remember, there were privacy problems. There were security problems. They were, they were figuring it out, but they figured it out quick, right? Yeah. And then they really, they got there about 10, you know, I don't know how many years ago it was, but they really, yeah. they landed it. They landed the plane. And, but the problem is, I personally feel like Kickstarter, 
Kickstarter in changing management really stopped innovating. They got comfortable and they stopped innovating. And I kind of think that's the truth. We really haven't seen any new innovation or improved service from Kickstarter in Mm -hmm. a couple of years. Um, Their overall user base has grown. And so it's the perception that's like things are getting bigger and better. They're maybe getting bigger. They're not necessarily getting better. And here's the problem to that is that BackerKit offered a genuine service that genuinely helps many, many <laughs> Kickstarter campaigns, especially big ones. Yeah. And BackerKit innovated. BackerKit pick, kind of picked up the slack of where uh, Kickstarter left off and said, you know what's the problem? The problem that needs innovation and entrepreneurial spirit here is the whole fulfillment side of Kickstarter. Yes. And meanwhile, Kickstarter's on the couch going, ah, oh, it's fine. People don't need anything. To do. we're, we're done. We're going to rest on our laurels. And, yeah. um, and so uh, to that end, BackerKit innovated, and to the victor go the spoils in terms of innovation. And so, I like Brad. I don't necessarily endorse it. I don't necessarily recommend that you use it for a social or for a distributed fundraising campaign. But mm-hmm. to their credit, they're keeping working on the innovation front. Absolutely, and so it's worth keeping track of. So, Dave, we should at least answer one question while we're in front of the microphones. <laughs> and so, I'm going to throw this one at you, uh, and that is this one that comes in from uh, Al, who says, uh, "How does page size or format affect my composition?" Here's what he's talking about. I don't want to focus on a webtoon square by square composition yet. What he's talking about is that panel by panel vertical scroll. Yeah. As I want to develop my flow on a page because I'm looking to print my comic. Recently, we've heard great advice from you guys regarding future proofing and having a website. I initially started my web comic thinking to print it on a horizontal page like the old Calvin and Hobbes books because I was making it viewable on a monitor as anyone else would just tilt their mobile to see it. iPad owner here, he says. By the way, I, I again, you can't get people to scroll. I don't know how you're going to get them to tilt, but let's go back to the question. Then I took the <laughs> challenge to make it a square Uh, page shape like Dave's comic and saw that the pacing and storyboarding can vary. It's a mix of long story and some singles regarding a comedic slice of life. Uh, So let's talk about this. What he's talking about is page design. How does page size and format affect composition? And there's a couple of things he mentions webtoons. He mentions going horizontal and then square. So let's let's drill down a little bit on page size and composition. Sure. I think the um, the interesting uh, thing to note here is that uh, we can completely throw out horizontal from the equation because I think yeah. anything you're presenting digitally, you're either going to present it full page for maybe desktop or maybe tablet users. And you're going to do uh, sliced up comics for phone readers, right? So we can leave horizontal completely out of the equation. But so let's talk about the page design and slicing up. I personally think you always want to design for the book first, but with an eye on how you are going to slice it for the web. Mm -hmm. And in so doing, you're making a really pleasant, effective, powerful page that also slices into a really effective, powerful vertical scroll comic. Um, I think if you, especially if we were talking about uh, uh, Rachel Smythe before with Laura Olympus, Mm -hmm. did an amazing job building an audience by a perfectly designed vertical comic But I think we can all agree, especially with the first volume, some pages didn't translate well when they were sort of cobbled together to create a page in the book version, Mm -hmm. uh, because I don't think that they designed with a book in mind quite clearly. And so 
I do think you still want to design for your final book in mind, with your final book in mind. Yeah. Design that page, whether it be a square format, which is kind of what I do for Drive, or the more traditional, taller format for Marvel DC Image, or some other format that you have on your own. You want to design for the page, but with an eye towards how you are going to slice it up vertically. Brad? Absolutely. And yeah, that, so that's that goes back to that first part of the question. I don't want to focus on a webtoon square by square composition yet. Right. Panel by panel. Right. And right. that's what Dave is saying is absolutely right. You design that for the page. And, but as you're doing it, you're keeping in the back of your mind that you're going to go through and crop every one of those panels individually and then present that in a vertical scroll. Uh, which means that you're going to make some choices there, you know, overlapping yeah. panels, panels that that are, are parallelograms instead of rectangles are uh, 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 things like diagonal gutters. Yeah. That's going to start to cause a little bit of problems for or even you. long horizontals that might stretch across yeah. your entire page. You'd probably avoid those, too. Yeah, absolutely. Or like I still use long horizontals, but I plan the composition inside that panel to be able to be uh, cropped. So like, like I'll have some stuff on the sides that I can get rid of and I can As just crop I, yeah. in Same, on the yep, important yep. part. So, so that's what we're talking about. We're always planning for that vertical scroll, even as we're laying out the page. Uh, and if you, if you keep that in mind, you can start to make some very smart decisions uh, as you're going. Here's another thing I want to talk about. And that's this, you're talking about putting that stuff on your website horizontal and you can just tilt the, the, the device so that you can see it horizontal. That's that's not a great approach. I want no. to try and talk you out of that as much as I can. You think it's just no big deal to tilt uh, that thing so that you can read it. But your readers are. Remember, those people that you are counting on. And we just got done talking about in the first part of the show what a long, steady climb this is for you to try to slowly amass audience. You're not going to do that by doing stuff that they've got to work to read. And I know right. you're, you're saying, Oh, it's not, it's a flick of the wrist. It's still too much work. <laughs> they don't yeah. want to do that. Remember they're scrolling through endless content. If they see you for the first time, they don't even know whether you're good yet. And maybe if they catch you on a bad update, maybe they're, they're going to walk away thinking you aren't good. And the next time they see it, they're not even going to bother with tilting that and, and looking at it. All of which to say, you've got to make it easy, easy, easy for people to read your stuff. Otherwise, they're going to scroll right by. Also, it is it is kind of a truth universal that in any sort of sales or retail environment, you don't want to annoy the consumer. And yeah. in this moment, if you want to think of your comic as a retail moment, it's not, you're not selling necessarily yeah. anything, but you're trying to entice them. You don't want to annoy them. It's like, have you ever gone to yeah. an open house, Brad, where they're like, please put these booties on your shoes. And you're like, yes. God damn it. What is, what is, is this, yeah. is this floor made out of diamonds? Why do I have to, yeah. why do I have to put booties on? Like you've just annoyed me. <laughs> so uh, I, I, it's one of those things where you, you're telling yourself, yeah, but aesthetically it's worth it. Yeah. But yeah. for the, for the way I want to deliver this, it's gotta be horrible horizontal they'll tilt it the people will tilt it they won't mind but okay let's say a percentage do they'll be a yeah. little bit annoyed by it right because because you're kind of saying you're the special little prince that has to have your comic turned to the side you know yeah. and and people don't want to be annoyed they just don't they don't and they're they're not going to do it they're not going to do, do it, it. Yeah. and again I, I, okay let's say that you you want to do this you'd better be an amazing writer because the minute that they don't get rewarded for that tilt and yep. and uh reading experience they're going to leave you behind 
They're going to be like, this isn't worth it. Like, Why yeah. am I working? Last time I read this, it didn't even make sense. I don't know what the hell's going on. You know, they're, 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 you better be an amazing writer to get somebody to do that because they're going to get burned a couple of times and just scroll right past you once they recognize your stuff. Absolutely. Now, let me do a kind of a big picture thing that I want to yeah. talk about. Why another uh, uh, yet another reason why you want to design for the page first yeah. and not for uh, the, the sort of webtoon sliced vertical version first, which is. Um, you can feel the difference for a vertical scrolled comic that was designed with unlimited panels. This, yeah. this update is 40 panels long. Yes. And the thing is, you feel it when a, when a comic has been designed for a page because it is X amount of work for the reader to get to a satisfying ending, which if you remember from Brad's continuous advice is, yes. you want every page to end on some kind of oomph. Sometimes it's going to be an art oomph. Sometimes it's going to be yeah. a character oomph. Sometimes plot, sometimes comedy, sometimes drama, sometimes right. action. It's ending on an oomph. And readers kind of have an inner sort of voice when it's taking too many panels to get to an oomph. You know, like, what? Right. what am I reading here? And so by designing it for the page, by designing it for the book, you have kind of naturally constricted yourself towards a really compact, efficient distribution of writing to satisfying ending. And I think actually that benefits a lot of comics when you're designing for that page in mind. Yeah. Now, if you're if you're going to do that uh, now, you're, you've got let's say you, you you've started out and you've got a combination of some horizontals and some squares and you're trying to put that all into a book at that point. Uh, you, know, you can't go back and say, well, I'm going to I'm going to do it differently. Of course, we would say the best thing to do is to plan for that book when you start your comic. Yep. Uh, but remember, let's like, like Dave, we both had to creatively uh, make up for a couple of bad decisions we made when it came oh, time sure. for the book. There's other ways of doing this so that you can get around that, right? Uh, you can you can get kind of a squarish shape. Let's say you're doing strips. You could get kind of a square shape by stacking two horizontal strips on top of each other and playing mm -hmm. two uh, strips per page. Uh, you can also do things. I've seen you do this, I think, as a matter of fact, Dave. You've got something that just needs to hang out on the page by itself, but it doesn't fill the page. So you do a little illustration. You plop it down there in the corner, a little character dancing around, or or maybe even, you know, best case scenario, kind of do like that old Ollie Funt uh, editorial cartoon is, uh, approach where you've got the comic up here. And then in the corner, you've got a little somebody down there delivering a little bumper or a little semi punchline or right. a little extra something. I've done that, by the way, I did that in evil ink, uh, in the first nine annual reports all the time, uh, because my stuff was never fitting the pages. Right. And I was, I was doing it completely backwards. I was taking four panel comic strips and then designing in, uh, graphic novel pages out of them, which was really adding a whole lot of extra work for very little return, driving yeah. myself crazy. But every now and again, I'd have to put a little character down there, have him say a little something or maybe just dance around. Hey, I'm a character. I'm just down here filling up space uh, <laughs> just just to make the page look good. Yeah. And a couple more suggestions. If you yeah. found that you've designed for vertical and now you're bringing it into a book and building off Brad said, that's an excellent idea. Other things you can do are uh, have big blocks of color in this in this tradition or style of a UPA animation, how they would just have yeah. a big floating block of blue or red behind it. You can kind of float that behind panels that you might have to, uh, you know, kind of crunch together. It makes the page feel a little bit more cohesive. Another thing you do is take a lesson out of how video editors 
If you've ever watched local news and they have some footage that was only caught on a vertically oriented phone. Brad, have you yep. ever seen this? Yep. And yet yeah. now they have to present it for 1920 by 1080 uh, right. video display. So what they'll do is they'll show the phone vertically dead center, yep. but then they'll take the overall image, enlarge it in behind it, and then knock either knock back the transparency or fuzz it up in a way so that yeah. it fills the 1920 by 1080 TV screen with the vertical clear in the middle, but the overall TV filled so they don't have black TV, obviously. You can do a version of that with your comic, which is you can cobble together whatever weird squares you've had from vertical onto a page, and then you can take one key moment, one key character design, blow them up, knock them back to 10% transparency. Yep. They're kind of floating behind the page or something. It just It's a nice little zhuzh to tie the page together, but it doesn't necessarily mean anything in the same way that that video that's been blown up to 1920 by 1080 yes. doesn't mean anything per se. It's just to make the screen look good. Oh, it's it, when you when you were talking about cobbling up a bunch of squares, I got to tell you, I think that uh, these two old squares that have cobbled together a show have done pretty good for another episode of Comic Lab, the show about making comics and making a living from comics. Well, Brad, I got to tell you, it's another salacious, salivating segue from Brad Geiger. Fantastic. All right, everybody. Your hosts have been my friend, Brad Geiger, the editor of webcomics.com and the creator of Evil Inc. at evil-comic.com. And my good friend, friend Dave Kellett, the co-director of the comics documentary Stripped and the cartoonist of Sheldon at SheldonComics.com and Drive at DriveComic.com. And the Comic Lab theme song is used with permission from Andy Creighton at TheWorldRecord.net. And this episode was edited by Matt Woodard of Woodsong Productions over at www.woodsong.media. If you love Comic Lab, you can rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts and you may hear your review featured on a future episode. And Comic Lab is made possible by your support on Patreon.com slash Comic Lab, a thing that did not exist in the OG webcomics world. That's so we'll go right. ahead and say that twice. Patreon.com slash Comic Lab. Ah, that's fantastic. I'm going to tell you, you've been listening. I don't want to steal your line. Brad's going to say it. Okay, fantastic. <laughs> you're, 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 you've got the next line. You say your host of Ben. No, you didn't. You didn't say you've been listening to I Comic did. Club yet. I did. No, you didn't. You did okay. I did. did you? I, you I said, said you did the square. You said the square. These two old squares have been. I? All right. Matt, okay, well, this bit, obviously. You might be. <laughs> We're, we're both out of it. Hold on. I, you're Wait, probably did you, right. Well, let's ask the room. Did Brad actually say you've been listening to Comic Lab, the show about making comics? Because I want to know if I had a stroke. I'm waiting. I'm waiting for the answer. <laughs> this is important to me, Brad. No one's answering. God, how long is this delay? Jeez Louise. Yeah. They don't want they don't want to pick a side when mommy and daddy are fighting. <laughs> That's fun. <laughs>